0: I want to talk uh, about uh, life under pressure, faith under pressure, peace under pressure, and uh, we're talking especially about uh, James chapter three. And the topic normally is uh, something like the dangers of the tongue or uh, the sins of speech. Uh, I uh, I like to observe how people put. Uh, topics on things uh, because it really shows you know, how negative the person is or how positive they are. You know? and, uh, and so I was looking in uh, various uh, different Bibles and uh, scholarly treatments of this, and typically they're pretty negative. I mean, it's a pretty pessimistic uh, passage. But I want to focus in on some things that I think will be very helpful and help us kind of give it a different title today and that is uh, especially the message about blessing and its opposite cursing about wisdom and its opposite uh, as well and uh, and and focus in on what this passage is really trying to say And so, we're going to start with a reading of this passage, and and I've tinkered with the translation, so you're not going to be able to find this exactly in your Bible. Uh, That's just my, it's one of those manias that I have. I can't leave it alone, as it is on the page. I, you know, I'm a translator by trade, so you just have to kind of put up with that. Uh, So, let's pray, first of all, and ask the Lord to help us as we get into this passage. Father, thank you so much for your kindness for your love toward us. Thank you for the revelation that we've seen of who you are in Jesus Christ. There is no one like you. And we are truly amazed to see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We're truly amazed to see the the mercy and the love and the passion that we see in the face of Jesus. So, Lord, we pray today as we read your word As we live our lives, as we look at one another, that we look at one another, that we look at the word, that we look at the world through the lens of the mercy and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, here we go, verse one. My brothers and sisters, not many of you should be teachers. I say this because, as you know, we who teach will be judged more strictly than others. We all make many mistakes. A person who never said anything wrong would be perfect. Someone like that would be able to control their whole body, too. We put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us. With these bits, we can control their whole body. It's the same with ships. A ship is very big, and it's pushed by strong winds. But a but a very small rudder controls that big ship. And the one who controls the rudder decides where the ship will go. It goes where he wants it to go. It's the same with our tongue. It's a small part of the body, but it tends to tell a big story with self at the center. A big forest fire can be started by only a little flame. The tongue is like a fire. It is a world of injustice among the parts of our body. It spreads its evil through our whole body and starts a fire that influences all of life. It will end up burning in the place of punishment in the next life. Humans try to tame and have succeeded in taming every kind of wild animal, bird, reptile, and fish. But no one can control the stories the tongue tells. It is wild, or unstable, and evil, full of deadly poison. We use our tongue to tell a story about how wonderful our Lord and Father is, but then we curse people who are created in God's likeness. These praises and curses come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this should not happen. Do good water and bad water flow from the same spring? Of course not. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree make olives? Or can a grapevine make figs? No. And a well full of salty water cannot give good water. Are there any among you who are really wise and understanding? Then you should show your wisdom by living right. You should do what is good with humility. A wise person does not tell stories to make himself look good. If you are selfish and have bitter jealousy in your hearts, you have no reason to tell a story like that. Your story, the story you tell is a lie that hides the truth. If you live that way, you do not have the wisdom that comes from God. No, you're thinking the way the world thinks. And that kind of thinking is not from the spirit. It's from the devil. Where there is jealousy and selfishness, there will be confusion and every kind of evil. But the wisdom that comes from God is like this. First, it is pure. It is also peaceful and gentle and easy to please. This wisdom is always ready to help anyone who is having trouble to do good for others. This wisdom is always fair and honest. People who work for peace in a peaceful way get the blessings that come from right living. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. (laughs) I wanted to read that whole passage because if anything else I say, um, uh, you may forget, but remember this passage. This is probably the most important thing that that we could get today. And I could just say, well, that's it, and sit down. But I I am going to try to bring some some application uh, this morning because, uh, you know, when we... When we start talking about this problem of the tongue or of the things that we say, sometimes we we focus on specific sins, and the specific sin is something that, as we grow more specific with the definition of the problem, uh, sometimes we tend to let ourselves more and more off the hook. I want to focus on at least one past one little uh one little statement, and that is that the tongue is a world of injustice or a world of unrighteousness. And to focus on what we do with our tongue, what we do with what we say, in effect what we're doing as we talk is that we are creating a culture. We're creating a world. In fact, Our world, if we look back at it from the things that we have lived since we were born until now, is largely made up of things people say. Things our parents said, things our dads, moms, cousins, aunts, uncles said, people who were important to us, that, hello, bro, it's good to see you. I hadn't seen Ben there, (laughs) Ben Walls. Good to see you, man. And uh, so... uh, Bless you. It's, it's great to look out there and see a person I haven't seen in, in ages as a good friend. And uh, uh, so the, the things that we say and the things that others say form a culture around us. They form a world around us. And so the relationships that we have are formed by the things we do and say, but the things we do are largely influenced by the things we say. That's what this means, that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness or a world of unfairness or a world of injustice and so sometimes we should just sit back and think what kind of world am I living in what kind of world have I created what kind of world has been created in my family in my relationships in the church and with my neighbors with my uh, people at work that's been created by the things that I say because the things we say, they're either sobering and bring us closer to the way things really are, or they are very intoxicating. And uh, several months ago, I was actually at a church that played this clip, and I didn't, I'm not going to put the clip up here. You can go look at it on uh, YouTube, but it's, uh, it's a British a BCC uh, reporter who is uh, talking about uh, something that's going on behind him, and the Bolivian soldiers are burning a whole pile of marijuana and coca leaves, and just, and cocaine, and he's uh, sitting there, he's standing there giving the report about what's going on, and he, begin, he launches off into talking about uh, how the uh, brave soldiers are burning this, they've gathered it all together, and, and he tries to get through the first time, and the, the smoke is all around him, and he's breathing it in, and he kind of breaks down a little bit. And uh, so he says, let's try that again. And so then he tries it again, and each, each time he tries to give the report, it gets just a little worse, <laughs> you know, until at the end he just, he just gives up and walks off, you know. And uh, the things that we say and the, things that, the way we tell our story uh, is like an intoxicating atmosphere around us. The culture that we live in is also very often an intoxication that uh, just drags us in this or that way, and so uh, the the uh, the heading here for this little part is teachers and the untamable tongue. If you are uh, filling in the blanks, so we make a culture by what we say and by what goes without saying. Uh, so not just not just what we say. I'm, I'm not. I don't want to let you you off the hook too quickly, because it's also the things that go without saying. And the things that go without saying change the meaning of what we say. Uh, for example, if I say, that's a good dog, what do I mean? Well, it uh, might mean different things in different places. In Texas, it might mean a dog who doesn't eat my shoes. Okay? In Alabama, it might be a dog who hunts good. Okay? In uh, Indonesia, in some places in Indonesia, it might be a dog that tastes good. <laughs> and so the things that go without saying shape what we, what we mean, shape what we say, and they're just as important as the things that we say. And, uh, and so <laughs> we're responsible for the things we say and the things that go without saying as well. And as a translator in Scripture, I'm constantly aware of how uh, what we say and what goes without saying shapes what we mean. For example, uh, just recently we were revising in Numbers chapter 12. uh, It's a famous passage that talks about how Moses is the most humble man upon the face of the earth, which, by the way, I don't think Moses could have written. It must have been someone else that wrote that. Because if he wrote that, he probably would have disqualified himself at the very moment of writing So somebody writing about him. Uh, and uh, and it, it's, a, it's a passage that says that, uh, that Miriam, his uh, sister, and his brother Aaron were very upset with him. Uh, and they were upset with him because he had married an, uh, a Cushite woman who was an Ethiopian woman, an African woman, and uh for uh years and years for the centuries as commentators have commented on this and translated it the assumption has been that they were upset with him because Moses married down okay the problem with that is that uh we as of course westerners we're thinking we have uh, even if we're not We don't say we're racist. There is racism going on inside of our hearts, and we just don't even know it. It's it's affecting everything that we do and say. It goes without saying. And uh, so I challenged that recently, and it was was very interesting, the the responses that we got. Uh, But I said, you know, really, the slave people in this passage are the Israelites. (laughs) They've been slaves for 400 years. And uh, the Cushites had a long and illustrious history of being a, a noble and uh, and a free people <laughs> and were on a par with the Egyptians and had trade relations with them. So for Moses to marry a Cushite, for M- Miriam and for uh, h- uh, her brother, was for him to marry someone he shouldn't marry because it was a higher level than them. You see how what goes without saying changes the very world that we're we're uh, surrounded by and so this is one of the reasons why i think james says you know the tongue is so untamable that uh, the culture that uh is created is so intoxicating so we are blessed in god's world in order to become a blessing that's the 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 thing that uh God has created us for. In fact, the Bible says we are made in the image of God. God's heart toward us is to bless. And yet that same power that we have for blessing can be turned to something that is the opposite. It can be turned to cursing as well. And yet there is this power within us, power that uh, we are sons and daughters of God. We're created in the image of God. We we say great things about God and then we can turn and say terrible things about someone who's created in the image of God. And I want to focus on that, uh, created in the image of God, just a second and and reflect a moment about what it means to be created in the image of God, to be a powerful person or a powerless person. Because... uh, If we are created in the image of God and we take that to heart, and I believe we are, then our words have a creative function. The things that we do create a world, just as we've been saying. The things that we say create our world as well. And that's really what's behind all of this pessimistic stuff in verses 1 through 12 about the tongue in chapter 3 in fact it's pretty pessimistic it's it's uh there's not i wish there were like 10 steps to avoid you know the tongue being this or that but actually it's a pretty strong statement about the tongue Um, and so how what does it mean to really be uh, made in the image of god and to be a powerful person let's talk about that just for a second you know the first thing that reveals a powerless mindset is powerless language. You know, frequent uses of the phrase I can't, you know, have you heard that? Or I have to is a hallmark of the powerless person. I can't do that, it's too hard. I am the way I am. I I have to clean the kitchen. I have to go to school. Have you heard that, you know, at home, I have to spend time with so and so? All of these are statements that say, I feel powerless and, and I cannot take responsibility for my actions. So I say that someone or something else is making me do it. Powerless people also throw in the word, I'll try. Have you noticed that? To absolve them if they don't come through with commitment or a promise. I'll try to do that. I'll try just imagine standing in front of the preacher on your wedding day and saying, I'll try. This language is rooted in powerlessness. In the belief that you don't have the power to manage yourself. The defining driving force of a powerless person is anxiety. And life is scary when you are powerless, isn't it? When you live in a world where you believe most things and most people are more powerful than you, it is scary to feel your life is out of control. Powerless people have a deep, need to suppress and assuage their abiding fear, fear of loss, pain, death, and abandonment, and more. Because they do not have the power to deal with their fear. Their only hope is to persuade other people to do it for them. They need other people to share their power with them because they don't have any of their own. They need other people to protect them to make them happy, to take responsibility for their lives. And the only way they believe they can get people to do that is to try to control and manipulate them. Now, control can look aggressive, you know, like a T-Rex, ha! Or like a passive lamb. But in either case, the root problem is the same. It's fear. Powerless people approach relationships as consumers. Consumers. They're always looking for other people to have the resources for them. The resources of love, happiness, joy, comfort. To offer, you know, uh, in that relationship to share with them because they don't have any themselves. They subconsciously think, you look happy. No, they don't say this out loud. You look happy. I need some of that happy in my life. We should get together and I could consume that happy. The powerless person will then consume whatever the, pers- the, the other person has to offer up until the life of the once happy person, that radiant flower, has been mown down to dirt. If you don't believe me, talk to anyone who has been in a relationship with a powerless person. They'll suck you dry. If you let them. You know, I've seen people in marriages like this over at, you know, and eventually the marriage crumbles and you see one of the people then begin to flourish (laughs) because now uh, they're no longer being just drained of every every resource in their lives. So, powerless people often blame the messes they make on other people, just the way it happens. Over and over again, and the reason f- their life and their marriage and their child and their finances and their job or whatever is the way it is has they say, has nothing to do with their own choices or they think that. Someone else, their parents, their spouse, their teachers, society, created the life that they're living. They don't have the power to create their own lives, they think. Powerless people create an anxiety-driven environment wherever they go. At best, these environments have the veneer of safety and calm, which cover the underlying currents of control and intimidation. Those who enter their atmosphere quickly learn to shape up with it and to go with the program until it dawns on them that they'll never be safe just to be themselves around that person or that group. And then they have a choice. They'll either stay in the anxiety and submit to the control of the powerless people or go looking for a different environment. Many choose to stick around in controlling environments and develop the skills necessary to survive there. They acquire a bodysuit of anxiety Kevlar, you know, and then they try to live in that 24-7. It feels safe and and comfortable. The problem is the armor is shielding them from scary people, is also preventing them from developing intimate connections with people. So you see this description of, uh, of the powerlessness over the tongue is really kind of an irony calling us to say, No! <laughs> it shouldn't be this way, right? That's the point of it. It shouldn't be this way. Now, I'd like to, you know, it'd be terrible to stop right here and say, well, that's a bummer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, luckily, you know, this passage doesn't stop that, that, there, at that place, and, um, <laughs> and we're going to talk about what it means to be a powerful person. If if you heard someone described as a powerful person, what would you think? Well, you might think that that person is the loudest person in the room. It's not necessarily true. Or the one telling everyone else what to do. But powerful does not come from being dominating. In fact, a controlling, dominating person is the very opposite of a powerful person. Powerful people don't, do not try to control other people. See, someone created in the image of God is not trying to control other. In fact, if you think about it, God isn't really trying to control you, is he? If God wanted to control you, he could control you. They know, powerful people know that doesn't work. It doesn't create love. It doesn't create all those things that we want. And they know that it's not their job to control other people. Their job is to control themselves. Let's, let's get this really clear here. What it, what it means to be a person created in the image of God is to be that creative person and in control of self. I don't think there's another person in the universe as self-controlled as God. As a result, they're able to consciously and deliberately create the environment they want to live in. They're shifting the atmosphere, as people say, in some places, changing the culture by what they say and by what they do. They don't try to get people to respect them, they create a respectful environment, you see? they deliberately set the standard for how they expect to be treated and by the way that they treat others. As they consistently act in responsible, respectful, and loving ways, it becomes clear that the only people who can get close to the powerful person are those who know how to respect and be responsible and to love well. Life doesn't happen to powerful people created in the image of God. Powerful people created in the image of God happen all the time. Wherever they go, they're like a hose in a mud pit. You know, the mud is not getting in the hose. You see, the, the mud is being forced out into other places. It's that that creation of something good that's coming out of their tongue and out of their lives. So powerful people are not affected or infected by their environment. They refuse to be victims of others and powerful people do not try to control other people. Powerful people (laughs) also require that others be powerful around them. Now this is, see, this is the, the amazing thing about being powerful person made in the image of God, recognizing who you are, you foster other people being powerful around you. So when they encounter a powerful, powerless person, they're not tempted to dive into an unhealthy relationship of savior <laughs> over a victim but a victim. They hear a victim's sob story and say so what are you going to do about that what have you tried what else can you try these kinds of questions that create an environment of respect confront powerless people with their responsibility and their capacity to make choices And control themselves now this is really important get this this is the only option that a powerful person has with powerless people become powerful make choices control yourself okay now that doesn't mean that we don't we're not generous and that we're not helpful we are helpful and generous in those crisis periods. We don't say just be warmed and be filled. But what we are doing is calling on people to step into the identity God has for them, which is you are created in my image. And after failing to get a powerful person to Offer them up, uh, any more options. Often, a powerless person will either change in order to start living powerfully, or will find someone else to dump on. I mean, really, that's that's what's going to happen. So, back to the message. That the, the thing: if you want to list the list of things you want to fill them in, powerless people always. Demand and expect more than others can give. Powerless people ascribe motives. That is, they're constantly judging what the other person is thinking and feeling about them, especially. Okay? Now... Just recently, it occurred to me, for the first time in my life, although I've been learning this over time, because, you know, we all start out as pretty much powerless people and then growing into becoming more powerful as we move through our lives. Hopefully, that's the way the direction is. But, um, you know, it's really none of my business what you think of me. Why would it be my business? I can't do anything about that, really. I can't manage my impre- the impressions that I create with other people. I can try. I can put on a good face and all that, but I really can't do that. And ascribing motives, my goodness, that's just a, a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. They shift responsibility, as we've said. They look to humans for salvation. You see, that's, that's the major the major problem god the, the other people become their idols and finally what happens when that is the way that life has gone it ends in cursing see this is where this is why people end up cursing other people now i want to step back just a little bit we've read the passage we've done some reflection on what it means to be to create a world of unfairness and injustice with our lo- with our the lies we tell ourselves and that we believe, things that go without saying and things that we say. And we've been talking about how we're created in the image of God, and that really is a call for us to be powerful people, not powerless people. And I want to do uh, just a little bit of historical background for this passage so you can understand really where it's coming from. Uh, James was written. It's James the Just. He's the Lord's brother, and he lived in Jerusalem, and he and the Christians, the believers in Jesus, remained in fellowship with the synagogue for several generations in different places. So that even by the year 400, Jerome, who was a great uh, author in in the Roman church, said, There are many in all of the synagogues of the East, there are many who believe in Jesus, the Messiah. But then he added, but they're neither Jews nor Christians. <laughs> Which was his way of saying, I don't know where to what category to put them in. Because the synagogue is not like the modern day church. It's not like, you know, you've got a Baptist church and then a Church of Christ and a Presbyterian church. The synagogue actually was the Jewish community center. So wherever Jewish people were, and scattered all over the East, uh, they would have a Jewish community center. And that Jewish community center was a place where, yes, they read the Torah, yes, they had prayers, but they also had community meals, they also did community justice, and that the judge of the Jewish community would be there. Uh, the the uh, teaching, that's where the public, the, not a public school, but the synagogue school for, for people learning, Uh, uh, their letters would also, they would go to the synagogue and all of that. So Christians who were Jews really had no option. That was their community center. But around the time of the fall of Jerusalem and a little bit before, uh, some of the rabbis began to, in some of these community centers, began to create a list of blessings to read at the beginning of the service. It was called the... Shemona Esrei, or the 18 benedictions. And one of them was, instead of a blessing, it was a curse on all of the heretics. Okay? And so, uh, and they would add in there, at first it was a curse on the heretic Sadducees. And later on, as the Sadducees passed away with the destruction of the temple, uh, it began to be changed, and they would throw in a curse on the Christians called the Nazarene. And uh, so, the way that that uh, that you could tell who was a Christian and who was not was if someone got up to give the 18 benedictions over the, over the whole community and they got to that particular blessing and instead of saying a curse, they said a blessing or they forgot the words or they changed it a little bit. And if you got it wrong, you could be kicked out of the community. Okay, so that would flush out people who were... Uh, who were not uh, towing the line of the leaders in that particular community. Okay, just imagine being a Christian in that I- atmosphere. You know, what would it be like? You know, the rabbis stand up, they have all the power, they're trying to control everybody in this community. They've got this list of blessings, and from time to time you hear people, you know, curse you right out right there in front of all the community. And how do you live? in a situation like that, where curses are coming your way under this kind of pressure. Well, James is written to help take the pressure off and help believers continue to walk in the character and love and power of Jesus, even in an atmosphere of control and cursing. You see how this passage was meant to be? So, we should take some, some heart from it. That if we're in a difficult situation, this passage is meant to give us, to empower us. It's meant to give us the character of Jesus in that kind of a situation. All right, so how? what's the answer? And uh, let see, it's 1117, so we've got to wrap this up. What's the answer? The answer is that... Under pressure, we're called to develop wisdom. In fact, that's if you, if, if you want to understand what the Bible is for, it is to help us develop wisdom. Wisdom in life. Wisdom toward one another. Wisdom in our relationships. And there is a kind of wisdom that comes from self-promotion. There's a kind of astuteness and cleverness. Let's not call it wisdom. Let's save wisdom for the more positive kind. But there's a kind of astuteness and cleverness that comes from self-promotion and comes from telling a story. And that's what boasting is. Boasting is simply telling a story with me at the center about how wonderful I am or how better I am than other people. That's what boasting is. And... Most of us in our lives are constantly telling a story. We're playing out a kind of uh, drama in our mind as we go through our various relationships, and we're telling a story to ourselves about how we're better than so and so, or we're, you know, or, or worse, or whatever. And that story creates the tone of our lives. As we said before, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness, unfairness, iniquity, whatever you want to put there. So how do we develop wisdom let's go back to that passage that's at the very begin- that I read at the beginning, chapter three verses thirteen, and following of James. The first thing is that we develop wisdom by realizing the two different sources. One source for cleverness and one source for wisdom. Are there any among you who are really wise and understanding? Then you should show your wisdom by living right. You should do what is good with humility. A wise person does not boast. If you are selfish and have bitter jealousy in your hearts, you have no reason To tell a story with you at the center that makes you look good. Your boasting is a lie that hides the truth. And remember, as we tell any story, we reveal some things and we hide other things. That's just what happens when you tell a story. So we have to be aware. We have to be aware of what kind of a story we're telling that kind of wisdom does not come from god that wisdom that is promoting self it's always trying to make self look a little bit better and i wish i could describe this in the subtle way that uh, i know could be described as the way i do it in my life but it's the choice of words even you know just yesterday we were in our home talking about a, a problem and, um, and Lynette had to invite me out of the conversation because it wasn't so much what I was saying, it was the way I was saying it, it was just negative. And uh, so I got all upset, mad about it, and went and sat down. And uh, afterwards she came in to kind of, you know, the conversation went on without me. And it actually went okay without me. <laughs> I mean, some of the things that I had contributed were, were, were positive, that's good, but it was better for me not to continue contributing, you know, at that point. And uh, so she came in and, and gave me a kiss, and I said, Hun, it's, it's look, I give you total permission to invite me out of a conversation when you see that I'm getting negative. It's okay for you to do that. Because I realize, I said, just, just do it overtly. You know, just, just say, hey, Yancey, you're getting negative. I think it might be better for you to leave the conversation. Because I know that my tongue creates a world of unfairness and injustice. Okay? Now, Wow. Let's see if I can live up to that. You know? Let's see if I can live up to it. But I think it was the dawning of a little bit of wisdom. Just the dawning of a little bit of wisdom. Verse 16. Where there is jealousy and selfishness, there will be confusion and every kind of evil. It's such a it it produces that thing. But wisdom that comes from God is like this. First, it is pure. That is, it's focused on God and God above all things. It's peaceful. That is, it creates peace. It creates that atmosphere of peace, gentle, easy to please. This wisdom is always ready to help people who have trouble and to do what is good for others. This wisdom is always fair and honest. People who work for peace in a peaceful way get the blessings that come from right living. Thank you, Lord. So this morning I know it's really been quiet. Maybe it's a bit of a heavy message. But I hope that you've heard in this message a call Becoming a stronger person. I hope that you feel like I did the time when I came first out of the watching the movie The Matrix a long time ago. I felt empowered. Hey, there's another possible world out there. (laughs) Wow. The question before us today really is pretty simple. Do you are you going to take the red pill? And are you going to become this decentered person where God is now at the center and you're no longer at the center of the story? You're just one of the characters, just like all the other characters in the story. And let God then begin to order that. Or are you going to take the blue pill and everything is going to continue as it has to this moment? That's the question. So I want to ask the uh, ministry team, the the uh, worship team, to come up.